And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're coming to you from a basement of a, in a destroyed <laughs> London. Uh, in if 18- Scott doesn't get away from that ham pretty soon, <laughs> I'm going to stick him with a knife. <laughs> Ouch. But come on, I'm, I'm freaking out here. Share. <laughs> The War of the Worlds is what we're going to talk about by H.G. Wells from uh, 1897. It was first serialized in Pearson's Magazine in the UK and Cosmopolitan Magazine in the US. That must have been so exciting to read. It must have been. It must have been. Yeah. Yeah. So the War of the Worlds. Um, Yeah. H.G. Wells, kind of famous, right? He's written a lot of stuff. Uh, Invisible Man. Now he was he was an atheist of the, I would say Richard Dawkins type. Oh yeah. But at the turn of the century, nothing friendly about that atheist. No, <laughs> no he he's definitely not uh, friendly to religion. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this this has to be. Well, I, I guess I can't really say it's the roots of, but uh, the the science versus religion debate was raging. You know, uh, he was like, science is great, religion is bad, um, which is, of course, a false. Uh, it's I, I've never understood um, that tension. Um, you know, it's not either or it's both. Yeah. And that's really always been the Catholic Church's point of view is if God is truth with a capital T, the more we find out about truth the more we understand different aspects of God. Mm -hmm. So why would you not do that? Now, there may have been times when they had trouble meshing what science was finding out with what theology was explaining in different ways. And that's what people like to emphasize, enlarge, talk about without context and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So that is right. That is right. And in this book, H.G. Wells takes it to the church man. <laughs> he does. He does. Yeah. And to the average man, actually. Right. Right. No one's getting cut any slack here. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You're right. Absolutely. So, so the War of the Worlds is about um, an invasion of the Earth, or specifically England. <laughs> the greatest country on Earth, I believe, yeah, he says. It, it, uh, several times. So, he's not without his own point of view. No. <laughs> you know, here it is, the, the greatest place on Earth, and we're getting attacked by these aliens. Um, but yeah, so the, these um, aliens from Mars, specifically, um, invade the Earth. Uh, these they're, they're shot kind of out of a cannon on the Earth, is sort of the impression that we get. There's some kind of an explosion on Mars, and, and suddenly, uh, uh, after some time... There is a landing somewhere in England, and it's like there's a giant crater and a cylinder in the crater, and then they hear some some hammering and stuff and some some power tools, <laughs> and uh, they build themselves uh, these little suits to to walk around in. 
Yeah, these big machines. Yeah, yeah. I I, I call them suits um, because that's kind of what they are, aren't they? They're like, uh, it, it seems almost like to me, you, you remember at the end of Aliens when Sigourney Weaver gets in that little thing that, oh, uh, you know, the, 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 the forklift that looks like a yeah, person. Forklift. <laughs> yeah, forklift. Yeah, it, it's like that to yeah. those aliens. It's 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 more than like we're riding around in a car. It's it's like an extension of themselves is the oh. impression that I got. It's like they're okay. they're putting on like a suit that uh, huh. they can walk around and stuff in. Okay, my impression, and let's be fair, mm -hmm. I do not read descriptions carefully a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So my impression was, and maybe this is from a movie or something, it was like a little round UFO type looking thing that was on some legs. Uh-huh, right. Because the legs yeah. would get knocked out. And so, but the the uh, Martian itself was up in there looking out a window driving it like a, <laughs> gotcha. a tall car. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could yeah. leap over, could walk over trees and stuff. Right. So, um, yeah, again, not mm -hmm. reading the descriptions carefully, which might be why this time I don't know why slowed down and really took in the description of the aliens. Ooh, yeah. Grossed me out. <laughs> really took in the descriptions of how they ate. I don't know why I slowed down for that, but I was like, oh, oh, gross. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, yeah. So uh, that was very vivid for me this time around. Yes, yes. Wow. Maybe also this picture on the cover of my book, now that I look at it, Ooh, which has which... very tall, cool-looking alien ships. Uh -huh. Nice. Next yeah. to St. Paul's Cathedral. It's, and you know, not, not a good look for St. Paul's. But, um, yeah, so they land, and it's all told from the point of view of well, two different people, a man and his part of it is told by his brother who's in London. So we get yeah, that. Th that was a curious thing, too. It was, it was still told by the, the man, mm -hmm. but it was about his brother, right? Cause it's, I guess it was my brother told me this. Or, yeah, kind yeah, of. My brother said right, that. Right, because it was in first person except for those where he's sort of That's a good point. telling his brother's story. right? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting because you're carried along in the action as it's happening and it's mm. very exciting and and reading it after everybody knows what happened you're kind of like no no i know you're when people are going down into the pit going oh it's trying to unscrew oh no it came so far we should help them they might be hurt in there and it's like oh don't do that no they're not friendly back away back away yeah too late Yes. But um but the thing is is it's all being told in hindsight. So he pulls off this really curious trick of keeping you immediately interested and tense and worried about the situation. But yet if you stop and look, it's being told from a past point of view where they're like so and so in his paper pointed out this or we would later discover that, but we didn't know it at the time or my brother said this. Mm. Well, he would have had to have met up with his brother at some point or gotten a letter or something from him right. and told yeah. him all those things. So about halfway through the book, I suddenly realized that and was like, wow, that's a really interesting way of doing it because we're getting the analysis of the situation at the same time as we're getting the situation. And mm. yet it's still really an adventure story. Yeah, that's a good it's point. really skillfully written. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. And that allows him to comment on things like going, we were like ants. Mm. We were like animals. We were <laughs> like, yeah, we got it. Okay. It's yeah. Fine. Yeah. And um, the, the guy himself, let's see. Um, he's like a philosopher, the, the main character. Mm -hmm. 
It says, uh, so at the very beginning of the epilogue, it, it, he kind of explains, um, my particular province is speculative philosophy. My knowledge of comparative uh, physiology is confined to a book or two, but he, he goes on. But anyway, that's like his job. So this guy is a philosopher, I guess, um, is what the main character does for a living. And that was an interesting uh, choice. Which really explains his point of view, I guess. Yeah. The, or the, the point of view that he's giving to us. Yep, yep, agreed. Yeah, yeah so the, um, the, the book, you know, at the very beginning is when these things land and start to come out. And there is all these, this description of, um, you know, the machines that they get into. And um, then uh, they start destroying everything. Um, and you really get this feeling, uh, something that I thought was very well done. I really got this feeling that everybody was like refugees throughout this whole mm-hmm. period, right? And they're, they're running, they have, you know, their homes have been destroyed and they're running away from war. And um, I, I was really st- st- stricken by a lot of the scenes where they're like just over the hill from a big battle that's going on. And, yeah. and his descriptions, you know, you could see the tops of things and you could see smoke come up and flashes of light and things. And they were trying to decide where to go. And, right. um, you know, people running all over the place, you know, trying to save themselves and get yeah, somewhere and safe. The late, you know, I guess just the beginning of the 20th century, essentially the end of the 19th or the end of the 20th century, sorry, um, the 1900s or 1800s. Uh, I'm confused. Okay, so 1897. Right. <laughs> just go there. Um, you forget, one is that bicycles were the new tech. Mm. You know, so when everybody's riding bicycles, these are the newest, fastest things that can are mobile. They can get through a crowd easily. Most people are on foot or they – and there are trains – but, you know, trains, you know, it doesn't take an alien invasion to throw that off. And all these people trying to get away, the trains are overwhelmed. The roads are packed with people. If you've got something, you've probably got a horse and cart, and then people are trying to take it away from you. Hmm. And you've also got to handle a panicked animal. So you've got this whole um, mass of people everywhere you go. And he really did convey that so well. Yeah, I, I, I really, you know, in this reading, that's what sticks with me the most. And um, so the, the main character was sort of in suburban London area. And then when he goes to his brother, his brother's in right in the middle of London. Mm-hmm. In fact, he's hearing about things through the newspaper. Um, you know, as fast as the newspapers can be printed, they're being printed and, you know, he keeps checking them. And well, uh, I thought that was an interesting aspect too. And then, uh, then London gets attacked itself, and then he's in exactly the situation you're talking about, yeah. where you know now there's people everywhere, you know. And, and and Wells talks about that a couple times, you know. Uh, he talked about something like three million people, you know, all running in the same direction, type of a thing. People. Yeah. That's when we went. Oh my gosh. Right. Right. There was another line that was interesting to me, too. After the dust had settled, um, he commented on how strange London looked without smog. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. I thought that was an interesting statement, too. Well, what I also thought was interesting was 
Yeah, so we get this whole rural situation, and it's getting worse and worse. It's escalating. They they build the machines. They're using their heat rays on everything. Then they start – the artillery is able to kind of knock the legs out of some of them. And um, so it talks about how they rebuild. They'll come and help each other. They'll kind of hoot at each other. And it was just so eerie sounding, thinking of that hooting that they would Mm, do to each other across the fields. And then they start lobbing these canisters that let this thick gas out that kills everything. Thick black clouds. Yeah. And I thought, I'd forgotten. You know, you think, and and maybe again, it's because of the couple of movies and whatever. It's that they're, you know, they're walking around in their machines, their death machines. They had all these other things they did too. Because then they'd go around squirting air and get rid of the gas. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, because it would go into the water, and the water was okay if you strained it out. The mm. powder it turned into, and then so we're seeing the scenes of absolute chaos. They're heating the water up, so the guy's in the water, and he's having to get out before he gets boiled alive and mm. panic. And then you go to London, and they've got it's the kind of thing where he's contrasting at that point the rural and the urban attitudes, mm. mm-hmm. and also how slowly news traveled then. So at first, the newspapers just had a couple of little squibs about disturbance noted here. <laughs> Meteorite might be yeah. something else, professor says, and people aren't even really noticing it. And then they're, and then when they're really noticing it is when their own lives are being impacted because the news still hasn't reached. But all the day trippers going out for their Sunday outings are upset because the trains are offline. <laughs> they're not coming or going the way they should. And they're yeah. all like, I was ready to go boating. What's happening? Because this is my one day off. And that's when everybody starts going, what is happening? Yeah, and then yeah. it's like the next morning, all of a sudden, it's the newspapers are so fresh that the ink is still wet on them about, you know, there's huge invasion, huge battles. These things are happening, getting closer. And the brother's going, well, I better get dressed. I better put some money in my pocket. <laughs> Yeah. And then the next thing you know, it's like, they're coming! <laughs> yeah, and then mass hysteria. Yeah. Yeah, and I really liked his description of the news, too. I thought that was really interesting. Because, I mean, we, we see what he's saying today. Um, the early news, like you said, was trickling in. Uh, some mm-hmm. of it was completely inaccurate. Right. Um, and, and he was saying, yeah, I mean, there were descriptions of things that we had seen earlier in the book that we knew were just wrong you know uh-huh. uh, how did you get your information and that's the way it is kind of right now i mean we've got cable news that is just rushing to get something on so whenever something happens a lot of the times the early stuff is not accurate yeah you know and then um then they start to get better and better as the better information comes in and um you know then they start to have a, a clearer picture of what's happening um but i thought that was a really interesting and accurate presentation of And it's funny that as instantaneous as we think of our news as being, it still does follow that pattern you're talking about because the other instinctive reaction, because we're used to it not being quite right or there's not very much of the news, Mm kind of go, huh, yeah, sure. (laughs) I don't think so. That doesn't sound right. Right. And so some of it is um, this superiority kind of idea. And the other is I can't believe that anymore. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if that's not necessarily reflected in his story, but mm-hmm. I was thinking of the, the thing I liked was it's happening in the country. Who cares? You know, <laughs> and there's almost nothing on it. So why yeah. would I even pay attention? Right, right. 
this is the center of everything. Just moving along, moving along. Which was one thing that um, we talked about, you and I, a little bit, which was that all through the book, Wells is busy continually comparing people to animals, Hmm. to indigenous peoples who aren't as advanced as the colonials or, you know, uh, colonial people who come and take them over, who um, ants when they're being walked on by a bigger animal, all these things. Here's how common and low we are. We are not any better than any of these. It's just on our planet. We happen to be better right now. (laughs) And so he's busy equaling everything by using these Martians to show it, right? But yet at the same time, I kept expecting to hear reports from all over the world. Oh, now they've landed in Moscow. Now they're landed in, you know, Washington. Nope. They're all in England. (laughs) England's the place from which to launch a world invasion. Mm. We all know it. It's like, what? (laughs) Are you telling me they could only aim at one place, the greatest country on earth, I believe he called it? Yes, more than once, right. And I know he's telling the story, so it's, you know. But at one point, later on, they discovered that they were building a flying machine. So they brought all this stuff to build an airplane with them. And they're like, oh, no. Then they would have spread around the world and we would have been doomed. Hmm. And that's the point when I went, oh, they really aren't landed anywhere else. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay. <laughs> it's fine that the story's written that way, but I just think it's a funny little It is quirk. a funny little thing. Yeah. It contradicts what his point is. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny. Why you gotta start somewhere. Why not start That's with That's right. That's right. Yeah, and the uh like we said, you know, the the main character was a philosopher and he was always coldly looking at things. Um you know, we, we know that uh, he was writing this after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he was all cool and collected all the time. Um, you know, and sometimes he would say something like, you know, uh, it, you know, like when he'd see the machines or when he'd describe the machines, he would say something like, you know, I wonder what our, our steam engine would look like to uh, a dog or something like that. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, he's definitely yeah. putting us, just like you said, uh, we're the lower animal, <clears throat> you know, compared to these Martians. Mm-hmm. And just like a dog would be a lower animal, his words, right, mm-hmm. to uh, the humans. Well, and then and he, oops, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to go say, uh, so... But doing this, he, he he's presenting this guy as calm, cool, and collected, and he's also irreligious. He's uh, he's not a religious person in any way, but yet he meets people. <clears throat> and one of the people that he meets is this curate, and the curate oh, yeah. obviously was dedicated to religion and was a complete disaster. Right, so yes, it, I, I it, don't want him for my uh, religious advice. <laughs> right, right. So the narrator says uh, this tremendous tragedy had driven him to the very verge of his reason. Right. So it, it's as if you know um, this tragedy, or you know, uh, because I'm scientific, this has not driven me to the edge of my reason. Um, right. I'm seeing things, and I can handle it. Um, but this person, he implies, who's spent his life leaning on God, is a complete mess. And he's been driven to the very verge of his reason because he can't figure out 
how in his worldview this fits. Yeah, the curate says, why are these these things permitted? What sins have we done? The morning service was over. I was walking through the roads to clear my brain for the afternoon and then fire, earthquake, death. As if it were Sodom and Gomorrah, all our work undone, all the work. What are these Martians? What are we? I answered, clearing my throat. And and it's funny because this curate continually is talking about all our work is undone. Hmm. So, and he comes back to that. All the work, all the Sunday schools, you know, it's all gone. We, It's been swept out of existence. So, first of all, that's, it's not work. And hmm. he's right. Works are not um, faith and religion and everything. They're the fruit of it. But we can't concentrate on that. So, that's a fair criticism for that kind of attitude. And um, a little later on, he says, this must be the beginning of the end, he said, interrupting me. The end, the great and terrible day of the Lord, when men shall call upon the mountains and the rocks to fall upon them and hide them, hide them from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne. So, He's got a terrible attitude about God, too. (laughs) I began to understand the position. I ceased my labored reasoning, struggled to my feet, and standing over him, laid my hand on his shoulder. Be a man, said I. You are scared out of your wits. What good is religion if it collapses at calamity? Think of what earthquakes and floods, wars and volcanoes have done before to men. Did you think God had exempted Weybridge? He is not an insurance agent, man. (laughs) And, um, of course, that's this guy doesn't understand that. Yeah. <clears throat> and the thing is, that is an excellent point, right? That's very it, you valid. Know, um, I, I had somebody tell me once, you know, that that was just this huge slam against organized religion. And um, it was it was like, well, you know, it could be. But, but what it is, is it, it's a slam against a point of view that you really shouldn't have if you are in organized religion. Right. Right. It, it's a, it's a, in, it's a, well, I guess you'd call it a straw man, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we as religious people certainly do not believe that that's an insurance policy. And I no. do know that some people do, um, but that's who he's arguing against. But when I read it, I didn't feel like he was arguing against me. I thought he made a really good point. Yeah, it's a corrective religion. point to yeah. that attitude. And to think that the curate had not thought of uh, natural disasters and things before this day mm-hmm. is, is a strange thing, too. Especially because I would assume that he was um, constantly in daily life in contact with people who needed him and needed his advice or, or wanted him to pray with them and things uh, for things that had happened in their lives all the time. So, so I, I think that the uh, a pastor sees more than the average amount of uh, of pain, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in in his life. So um, I felt like that was not a really accurate depiction, you know. That that somebody might uh, completely crumble under those that situation is certainly, you know, possible and accurate, you know. But if it's but to, but to have that argument, you know, uh, it, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me because I, well, don't, I don't share that. You know, as a religious person, it's completely against reason for you to believe that, uh, you know, I've put on this armor now and, and nothing's <laughs> going to touch me. Yeah, just look at Jesus's life and we're mm. done with that argument. Yeah. Um, well, and I think maybe, so maybe he was 
you know, if what he was railing against was that attitude, it's also the attitude that, you know, human beings are superior to everyone and whatever they want. And um, although it comes off more, <laughs> more extreme in the book, but, um, yeah, and yeah. not in a way that makes the book unable to read. It's just there if you notice it, but it's also, this is a small minded man, this curate, as we see later when he's trapped, they're trapped together in that kitchen when a cylinder falls and they're stuck there for what, a couple of weeks or so, 10 days, something yeah, like that. Right. And um, he, he won't, cooperate in rationing the food you know when he discovers that making a noise makes the other guy nervous because they're going to attract the attention of the martians that are on the other side of this kitchen wall he will use it to get his own way you know he's just small-minded and not a great person and right. this is the mm -hmm. only representation of religion <laughs> in the entire book yeah. so in that sense it is showing what Wells thinks of that. And the sad thing is there are plenty of people who, you know, we're not perfect people. It's easy to get the wrong point of view and kind of to cling to that. Mm -hmm. um, so that may, I don't ever want to be that, but if I am, I hope I come up against something like this to kind of shake me out of it. Yeah. I completely agree with what you're saying. And then um, some of the stuff that I, I sort of noted um, in this second to last chapter, he just uh -huh. says, um, just at the very beginning, um, he says, I remember clearly and coldly and vividly all that I did that day until the time that I stood weeping and praising God upon the summit of Primrose Hill. <laughs> you know, and that's the narrator that says that. And he, he says similar things a couple of times where he was praying that he could get out of this or... Um, you know, praising that he got out of it mm -hmm. after, right? Well, so. yeah, because the one I had marked was um, after all these Martians are dead, he's found them everywhere. And he says, um, handling, uh, oh, let's see, and scattered about it, some in their overturned war machines, some in the now rigid handling machines, and a dozen of them stark and silent and laid in a row were the Martians dead slain by the putrefactive and disease bacteria against which their systems were unprepared slain as the red weed was being slain slain after all man's devices had failed by the humblest things that god in his wisdom has put upon this earth hmm. and his is capitalized yeah isn't that interesting now is mm -hmm. he assuming that we know who he is and things i mean is that him poking fun at it or it does not feel like that at it all it doesn't yeah he's he's again he's poking at men mm -hmm. you think you know everything but this is something you could not have you didn't beat these things this is part of the natural system thank goodness for it thank god for it mm. essentially yeah so th this um gosh when was darwin writing his stuff is it pretty close to that I don't know. I'm wondering if that was, you know, sort of what he's saying is here, you know, here we have this natural, natural stuff. So uh, Darwin passed away in 1882. Um, okay. So, it, you know, here we have this naturalistic view of the world that was becoming prominent and that Wells probably subscribed to. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of rejection of that by religious people. Oh, and, yeah. Right. Yeah, well, that's true. And he's... Mm -hmm. 
putting it together. Right. This right. all works together for good. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, and I can totally go with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can too. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So in that sense, the, the reminding us that man is not any better than a lot of the rest of nature, that, um, you know, we couldn't beat this thing. That's kind of his, it looks like now, attempt to kind of remind us of perspective. Mm. To keep things in proportion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, you know, that makes me think of Lovecraft a little bit, you know, when you when you talk <laughs> about that, right? Because that that's kind of what Lovecraft did over and over was, was uh, you know, indifferent massive horror right yes. that that didn't care whether we existed or not it had it had no uh no care in the world about us yeah the elder gods that right. were in a different it's like dimension, we were again ants were ants to to them yeah yeah his was a much colder um more hostile feeling mm. environment than the ones that one that wells presents here yeah yeah. Because even Wells's protagonist, he is analytical as much as he can be. But, you know, one of the things I liked about it is he was continually trying to get back to his wife. Yes. Early right. on, he takes his wife, leaves her with cousins, and then says, thank goodness nothing came really well. He thought nothing came near there. As he discovers later, the place was destroyed. Luckily, they had gotten away ahead of time, and they thought he was dead. Hmm. So they miraculously meet up at the end and it's wonderful. But he will have moments of delirium where he has been pushed beyond his capacity to handle things. He's tired. He's hungry. The horror of it has overcome him. And he'll say, you know, I don't even know what I was doing for this time period. The thoughts of my wife would come to me. And sometimes I'd even resent her because I had to keep trying to get to Leatherhead mm-hmm. or whatever the name of the place was. Yeah. And, um, so he has his human moments too, where he's succumbing to just all the natural stuff around him. Yeah, I like that. You know, so it is it is interesting that he's so uh, wanting to get back to his wife all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to read just the the very opening of the book. You know, oh, we're, we're talking about the really cold, uh, analytical stuff, right? Yes, the sort of stuff that sets the tone. But he says, um, "No one would have believed." in the last years of the 19th century that this world was being watched keenly and closely by intelligences greater than a man's greater than man's and yet as mortal as his own that as men busied themselves about their various concerns they were scrutinized and studied perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water with infinite complacency, men went to and fro over this globe about their little affairs, serene in their insurance of their empire over matter. So, yeah. That's it right there in a nutshell. Right. That's what he's talking about the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. We are insignificant. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> and we think we're great. And we, we think, think we're great. great. Yeah. 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 These, these little affairs of ours, right? Stuff that we do all day long, you know, super important. The stuff that we stress out about. <laughs> you know well, what I mean? he's talking about empire building. And so he he's is, yeah. Talking it's about not about, it but bigger... he also talked about the little affairs. You know, uh, the uh, we, we do our tiny little things, right? Yeah. And, and the empire building is a tiny little thing. Right. Right. And the, that's kind of the funny thing about 
Christianity, too, because on the one hand, there is that point of view of we're not as important as we like to think we are a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean this, you know, people in general. I mean, individual like me, you know, all this stuff is very important. And it is important. Mm -hmm. Um, But where is it proportionally in the big scale of things? You have to keep a sense of, you know, I'm not great that you know the most important thing ever because i'm doing this thing Mm -hmm. i'm necessary to this thing or you know running the household or you know my job or whatever it is but so that idea of humility comes in because you do your best but you're not the end all and be all yeah because there are other people there's god there are all these things but at the same time what i love so much about christianity is God is like those Martians, or he is like those elder gods in the sense that he is something we can't understand. Mm-hmm. There's no way. But unlike all that, he does care. He is willing to stoop down and show us by being like us in Jesus's uh, person mm-hmm. that I get it. I understand these little things. A meal does matter. Friendship does matter. Sacrifice does matter. And here's how you glorify the suffering and everything by thinking about somebody besides yourself, doing it for the greater good, all these various things. And so it's that perfect melding of the overview and the individual. Hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well put. Oh, thanks. I just, Hmm. I don't know. I just... That's the whole thing that makes the incarnation amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the thing of so much mythology, the not true mythology, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as Tolkien would say, is people go off and they die for God. Well, our God came and died for us. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that turns it on its head. Right. Yeah, the myth that's true, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... In the War of the Worlds, you're seeing all these these things he's saying are actually true, but the thing that puts it into the the kind of proper and ennobling and glorious, joyful perspective is Jesus. Mm. And that's what this curate's not focused on at all. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Which is easy to do. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, the the thought that leaps to mind there is, uh, um, you know, the, the first half of the, the, this thing is split into two books, right? Mm-hmm. So the first book is really kind of a war book. And then the second one is kind of a horror novel. Oh, yeah. Um, where the, uh, you know, that scene that you were talking about where they were huddled in the kitchen and uh, horrified yeah. because there were Martians right next to them on the other side of the wall. And if they made noise and things. Um, but the things that they saw there were horrible, oh, yes. right? <laughs> but one of, the, one of the things that they were doing, you know, he, he described the aliens, and the aliens have, like, very little in the uh, uh, digestive department. <laughs> like none. <laughs> none, right? So what they do is they, they basically infuse blood. And um, so talk about, like, the opposite of what Christ does for us oh. is what he, they were doing to humans. Right. Right. So which is part of the monstrosity. Um, you know, but they were taking our lifeblood away, you know, and Jesus yeah. gives it. So, um, that's good too. But yeah, yes. they were draining all the blood and injecting it into themselves. Exactly. Yeah. 
yeah and that is horrifying right, right <laughs> that is uh, uh that is uh you know dracula in there too yeah yeah, yeah. all those kind of different ways of expressing that mm-hmm. idea right right yeah and that's one of the great points you made about dracula is how that was the opposite right oh yeah yeah Antichrist, it's, right? He's preying on people to give him eternal life. Well, you know what's interesting? I just looked up Dracula. Dracula was published in 1897. Oh. Which is the same year as this. The glory year. What, on, what on earth was floating around in the air that everybody <laughs> was sucking people's blood in the novels? Well, maybe people were worried about, you know, um, like when it turned 2000 and everybody says, oh, the computers oh, are all going to yeah. break, we're all going to die. <laughs> I think there was that same, mm-hmm. I think when it time changes like that, people worry about that stuff. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I'm not saying these authors did, but then you respond to that. Yeah, yeah. The zeitgeist. And also you had the, um, what, industrial revolution and various yeah. wars. And, that, and then, that's something know. that, you know, you bring up the industrial revolution. That was a very interesting aspect of this book, too. Being a machine guy myself, mm-hmm. you know, I know how much you love descriptions of machines in novels. It's my favorite. So, yes, that's why I don't really remember what they were writing around. Uh, but it was interesting that um, that here... You have these Martians, right, that when they land on the Earth, the the gravity is greater, so they've got extreme difficulty moving around. And then they get in their machines, and they're graceful, Mm -hmm. right? He he talks about their rolling motion and, um, you know, how how graceful they are in these machines. And clearly, he's someone who is like, yeah, hey, these machines, machines in general are, can be really good, you know, is, is what he's kind of implying, right? You know, so you're looking at, hey, this machinery is awesome. But mm-hmm. I'm sure that the machines that they were seeing in an industry uh, were not like that. Uh, these wouldn't be graceful things. These would be, uh, you know, belching black smoke. Um, yeah. You know, they would be uh, uh, starting and stopping. You know, they, they wouldn't be smooth. Um, you know, they would have periods during which they'd work well, but then they would break. Really you know, noisy. Really noisy, yeah. So so I imagine that the average person was not, you know, uh, they, they were pretty tense about what was coming. You know, uh, why why do we want more of this? I mean, look at our city. It's it's in a cloud, <laughs> you know. It's in a dark. And that, that that's another uh, thing that just came to mind. I mean, if London's in a dark cloud all the time for, for those machines to be spewing that black, powder that kills everybody is an interesting aspect to it too (laughs) that's a good point yeah but anyway sorry i interrupted you no no i interrupted you okay um i was gonna say plus there's also it's that uneasy transition time of now we have this industry but old traditional jobs are going away right Right. dealing with a lot of that right now look at the anxiety um everybody starts pointing fingers that these people are going to cause this problem you know, mm-hmm. yep. so there would be all that going on too when these books right. were all yeah. coming out. But one of the things I also liked when you were you were reading the beginning of that, I was struck again. Of, those are some very famous lines yeah. in the book, yeah. of course, and they're used by you know what Orson Welles when he did the famous uh, radio show and everything. But I really liked sometimes he would just write these things and I'd go. You had such a mastery of 
description and I don't know, a subtle way of conveying information. You could just really see it. So he's talking about Friday night and this is in London. So I love the way these are a couple of paragraphs, but I'm going to read them because the way he builds it up, you can really see it. So some description I read, just not machines, as you pointed out. (laughs) (laughs) So this Mm. is the beginning of chapter 16, the Exodus from London. So you understand the roaring wave of fear that swept through the greatest city in the world, (laughs) just as Monday was dawning. (laughs) The stream of flight rising swiftly to a torrent, lashing in a foaming tumult around the railway stations, banked up into a horrible struggle about the shipping in the Thames, and hurrying by every available channel northward and eastward. By 10 o'clock, the police organization, and by midday, even the railway organizations were losing coherency, losing shape and efficiency, guttering, softening, running at last in the swift liquefaction of the social body. All the railway lines north of the Thames and the southeastern people at Cannon at Cannon Street, had been warned by midnight on Sunday, and trains were being filled. People were fighting savagely for standing room in the carriages, even at two o'clock. By three, people were being trampled and crushed, even in Bishopgate Street. A couple of hundred yards or more from Liverpool Street Station, revolvers were fired, people stabbed, and the policemen who had been sent to direct the traffic, exhausted and infuriated, were breaking the heads of the people they were called out to protect. And it just keeps wow. going. But I love that that losing shape and efficiency, oh my gosh, yeah. softening, running at last in that swift liquefaction of the social body. My goodness, yeah. Yeah, that is, that's amazing. Yeah, and then he describes what that is. Yeah, I mean, it's so vivid. You know, you can, you can feel that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he does it time and again. And I don't want to say that I never read descriptions um, – I don't know why I blanked over a couple of those, but because one of the most stirring, exciting parts to me, because I'd forgotten it, I guess, was when the brother and the two ladies are getting on a boat. Mm. They're going to get away across the channel. (laughs) One lady's like, oh, I don't know. I've never left the country. I don't want to go to France. They're like, get on the boat. Get on the boat. (laughs) These are the dumb things you think of. (laughs) France is not the greatest place in the world. And that's why there's no aliens over there. So we need to get over there. France because they knew it wasn't as good. Um, but the thing is, is what you don't expect is, oh, they're like, we can handle water. Not yeah. a problem. Right. And so then you see these boats coming or ships mm. coming and ramming the legs of the um, machines. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, giving it up, man, they are sacrificing themselves. Mm. And so that was very exciting. I was cheering right yeah, along with those people. For sure. You, know, you see a boat really go down good. and then it reappears. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. And you also get the idea that the Martians didn't expect the fighting back, but that didn't make them stop and think of us as anything better or different mm-hmm. than they took us for in the first place, which was something to eat. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, and I remember that same thing. I'm kind of flipping through here trying to find what was the name of that boat that was ramming them? Um, the Thunder Child. Remember. That's it. The Thunder Child. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was really fantastic. And then his descriptions of the the tripods themselves. 
once they got in the water, some of them were in so deep that uh, you couldn't see the legs anymore. Mm-hmm. And they just somehow didn't look as scary to them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember him saying that. They weren't towering overhead. Right. You couldn't see the apparatus. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And then also in the water, that vivid, that heat, um, you know, making mm-hmm. the water warm. And, and as, you know, he ran to the water earlier in the novel, he... He runs into the water to get away from him, and then the water starts to get warm. Right. <laughs> you know, with the, from their heat rays and stuff, and he's like, "Whoa!" I know. He yeah. went the water. I was like, "You'll boil." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If water uh, represents spiritual things, you know, that's another oh. thing right there too. Where, yeah, that <laughs> the water is not saving anybody. Yeah. Yeah. In in his book. Yeah, you just. There's nothing that we're doing that's very effective. You may have mm. a bit of victory. You know, the artillery has a bit of victory at one point, but yeah, they soon deal yeah. with that. Oh, no problem. We'll Hooray. do some poison gas. <laughs> you bet. Um, you they, bet. May, they may ram, uh, or, you know, at one point they knocked out the legs out from one thing, and the other ones come, wipe out the artillery, and let help them rebuild. Mm. You know, it seems you can't win. And without the bacteria, they probably would have, right. I feel like. Right. I don't know what they would have eaten later. And then later they go, well, it looks like they went to Venus instead. So, you know, one, one person we haven't talked about is the uh, artilleryman. That was oh, an interesting oh my gosh. aspect of it, plan. too. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this guy's got this plan, and um, he's... <laughs> um, th- that was really interesting to me, Um uh, so yeah, so the narrator hooks up with this guy, um, who's an artilleryman that we saw earlier in the book, and the artilleryman has this plan. You know, he's like, yeah, we're we're like ants to these things. You know, we're we're nothing, and uh, you know, my plan is to go underground. We're gonna do this, you know, and we're gonna resist forever. And uh, you know, it starts to make real sense to the narrator. And the narrator's like, you know, I think it says to me. Yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna join you, right? But then he realizes that the guy is just all talk, right? Yeah, he yeah. doesn't want to do any of the work. Yeah. So what do you think he was saying there? I mean, this is a guy that was trying to set himself up as a leader or something, or what? <sighs> what do you think he was saying? It, it yeah, was just people. an interesting thing. He was like, yeah, you know what? We've we've dug enough of this hole today. Let me go see if I can find some cigars. <laughs> There's got to be some brandy somewhere in one of these houses. I'll yeah. Let me just go look at that, and then we'll just take it easy for a minute. Yeah, let's talk again about the many fine yeah. ladies we'll have. So, <laughs> so it's, it's almost like, you know, he, he's got a guy here who's really just not willing to, to do anything specific, you know, or to do what's needed, what's needed to... Uh, to do what he said he wanted to do. Well, and think about these people with their grandiose plans for society, mm-hmm. how society should change. Right. Here's an yeah. idea. And then they do nothing about it, but they get everybody around them all excited. Yeah. So, I mean, is that what he's talking about? Maybe. I don't know, but yeah. that's. But now I mean, because to me, you know, yeah. HG Wells is one of those people, <laughs> you know what I mean? In his life, you know, that, that's what he was doing. You know, well, the, the writers and the idea folks, people writing editorials in the papers, the people. But he wasn't, was he saying that was the new way we should live? I no, mean, no, I, no. 
Yeah. It's funny. I hadn't thought of the artillery man that way, but you're uh-huh. right. We've seen so many other things in this book that are kind of his reaction and commentary on things. And it yeah. makes me, the first thing that sprang to mind was Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook calling for um, a national or global paycheck for everyone. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, you heard about that, right? No, I did not. I did, yeah, I've, heard, was, I've heard the idea of a global paycheck for everyone, yeah, but I well, have not heard was, him say it. It but anyway, was the artillery man again. <laughs> <laughs> Just we heard that, and we were like, yeah. "Oh yeah, that's going to be great." It was like, that's "Yeah, yeah, let's do the that." Joel has worked so well for everybody. <laughs> we we need, you know, it's like because that's kind of envisioning that Star Trek future where mm. no, no, we don't need paychecks. We just yeah. get whatever we need and we're just inspired to do the right job for us. So it all works out. Okay. For everyone. You bet. Yeah. We can that's three, not humanity. 3d that's print, not, whatever we want to eat or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not, um, it's just not a realistic look at human nature for one thing. I mean, we need, we need something to work toward. We need mm-hmm. goals. We need, and I don't mean that in just kind of a mean way, like you have to have your checklist every morning, but you know, you need something bigger than you to inspire you and get you interested and creative. And it's what makes life worth living. Mm, yeah. And um, whether it's, you know, oh, here I am with my family or, you know, my friends or, but, you know, working towards that common goal, there's something there that's not in regular life. That's what's, I don't know. It, hmm. it make, And then that makes me think again, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, that, you know, we're co-creators with God. He created Adam and said, here you go, the Garden of Eden. Till it. Mm-hmm. Take care of it. Be a farmer. Yeah. And it wasn't ever presented as anything bad until original sin happened, and or the fall. Yeah. He was cast out. He goes, well, now work's not going to be fun anymore. It's going to be hard. <laughs> but the idea is that that was why the world's not completely done. We're helping with it. Yeah, yeah. And so all those creative urges we have, if you don't have something kind of pushing you toward it, if you're just sitting back with your paycheck, where's the impetus to do more than the artillery man? Agreed. Yeah, and that's that's what the... Uh I don't know. That's what communism was, right? I say was. I mean, it's still it's still in the in there as if it's gone. Um, yeah. But um, the Chinese would yeah, would agree, right? It's here. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, a good part of the capitalist system is, um, you know, people that that are sort of above and beyond. You know, can achieve above and beyond. You know, because that's the way that the system is set up. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, and and you you kind of have to move during that system, right? <laughs> yeah, you have to. So, yeah, interesting stuff that's going on today about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like in every age, probably, and I I don't yeah. know enough about that time period, but I imagine there were just like then these people with these great ideas you know that's where you get those utopian societies that don't ever work out and Mm. we'll do it like this well i don't know what is utopia for everybody (laughs) somebody's got to bring in the carrots right right so true so true Mm. gotta bring in the carrots (laughs) (laughs) or whatever that's right that's right so i'm looking through to see if there's anything else is there anything else you you want to bring up yeah 
Um, I have one other thing that I just thought was interesting, and I kind of went down that rabbit hole. Um, I heard of a short story that he had written, he being H.G. Wells, mm -hmm. called The Crystal Egg. Oh, yeah. Have you heard of that? I At one point, I read all his short stories. Oh, okay. Okay. But, and that one I feel like I heard recently, but please. Okay, yeah. So, so The Crystal Egg, is um, it was published also in 1897. And um, so it was published while while the serial while the War of the World serial was going on, oh. and it's about I guess you could call it a magic shop story, um, but it's it's a shop where there's this crystal egg, and um, this guy really really wants to buy it. But the the thing that's interesting about this egg is that you can see Mars through it uh, when you when you look at it in an oh, exact right. certain way. Like a precursor to the yeah. World. Yeah, like, so it was I heard of it. very yeah. interesting, and um, there wasn't any, you know, there's no, like, really direct connection, other mm -hmm. than he says, like, through the egg, when you're looking through it, um, you could see, like, red weeds. Mm -hmm. he, he does use the red weeds word, um, and uh, it was cool in that the... The egg on Mars, so there seemed to be like a twin to this egg, and it must have been on Mars, and it was like on the top of a mast or a, a, a big pole, mm -hmm. so that when you look through it, you kind of had kind of a bird's eye view of what you're looking at it. Um, uh, but but it was interesting. So, you know, he was talking about planes, and they were, it was red planes, and there were these things flying around <laughs> and so every now and then one of the things that was flying around would land on the egg. So the guy, the person that was looking through it was looking at directly at the face of, uh, whatever was looking back. Um, so, so at the very end it, it said something like, um, the Martians sent the egg so that they could observe us before they came right. over. But, think, but there's no clear foreshadowing where it doesn't clearly say, and then the aliens were going to come. It, it yeah. just said that they, uh, they, they sent it from that planet so they could uh, give the Martians a near view of our affairs. And yeah. that's kind of where it ended. I do remember that story, and I can't remember if I read it recently in a short story collection or if I heard it talked about on some podcast. But, mm -hmm. yeah, I I do remember that. And I thought it was so interesting that H.G. Wells was thinking further about how this would all work. Mm. Yeah. Because that does seem like they're kind of like, well, let's check it out. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, can do that. It's almost magical, you know. Uh and for Wells to write that, you know, it's not really science fiction. But then, but then now, nowadays we have this quantum entanglement stuff in in physics, mm -hmm. where you know something like that actually seems kind of possible, where um, you, you wiggle something somewhere and something wiggles elsewhere. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's this quantum thing that's going. Uh, quantum physics is really difficult for me to understand. That sounds uh, like action and reaction to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So but then it, I can understand it. There's these kind of, and, and and my understanding is that they've proven this, where if you have you have particles that are somehow connected through some means that you have no idea, but they're separated by a distance, and you wiggle one of them, and the other one wiggles. Mm hmm And it doesn't seem to matter how far away that is. Because um, you know that. 
I remember reading this book and it was all these different scientists who were Christians mm-hmm. who were talking about how their faith was enhanced or sometimes um, enabled by mm-hmm. their study of science. And it was this kind of thing where you go, oh my gosh, you think you've hit the bottom. You think you understand it. And then this stuff pops up right. and God's yeah. like, yeah, that's I got why, that there for you guys. That's you why, you know, I'm, uh, you know, Stephen Hawking wrote uh, in one of his books, I, I think it was A Brief History of Time, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, people who said we're reaching the end of physics are laughable, you know, because it's kind of endless. And yeah. then near the end of his life, he was like, well, we've reached the end of physics just about. We've just about got her done. And I was like, dude, <laughs> I don't think so. Somehow you were smarter before. So. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I've been thinking, I don't, well, actually it was spurred by a thought on a podcast. Um, the Phil Vischer podcast, which uh, is something I've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, in there, they were talking about heaven. And... Um, the, the the fellow there said something that really struck me, you know, uh, so, you know, when Jesus was being baptized, right, it said the heavens opened, right, and, uh, and, and God said, you know, this is my son in whom I am well pleased and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what does that mean? What does that mean that the heavens opened? And you start to contemplate that a little bit. And it, it's like, you know, something opened that isn't open, right? Something, you know, is it like, you know, heaven is right there? Well, it's that transcendent moment because yeah. remember, and because there are different tellings of the story, right? Uh-huh, the different yeah. gospels each talk about it, but mm-hmm. um, because in one telling, and I don't remember which version, that says some people said it was thunder, some people <laughs> said mm-hmm. it was you know something else, but it was this. Interesting. So Interesting. everybody's taking something different away because you know who is that transcendent moment for? Right. Right. I mean, okay. in that sense, when those. You know, those little moments of connection, it's like the heavens open Yeah, for us. And you talk about, you know, thin places in Celtic culture where, mm-hmm. you know, they believe that there are places that, you know, the, the veil is thin. Yeah. You know, and uh, but, but thinking about that, you know, and thinking about physics and stuff makes you think, you know, well, there's all this dimensional stuff and universes and, and all these things. Yeah. It's like, you know. I don't know if there's universes. Yeah, Depends on yeah. Well, like, that's what some physics says, too. I, I certainly don't believe <laughs> that there's another universe with, like, another me in it. Right. <laughs> well, You know, th- that's not something I believe, but that there could be other universes is definitely also, a possibility. Also, there's a lot of theoretical stuff out there that people start to talk about as if it's actually true. Sure, sure. And I'm yeah, like, that's what science does all the time that people don't right. understand. It, right. And yeah. I'm like, that's fine if you're working towards finding some way of proving it. But if right. you're not, it's still theoretical. Yeah. Um, And I I can't be hard and fast because I don't know enough about all these kinds of science, but I'll hear people talking about, well, and what they say in this one kind. I'm like, oh, what kind Mm. of experiments? Oh, well, none. (laughs) But And I'm like, oh, so it's a thought experiment. Yeah. You know, and that's fine because that gives Mm. you something to think about and work for. And maybe what you discover is something else while you were trying to look at this one thing. I get that. but, um, But... what you make me think of when you talk about those kinds of things, for one thing, like I said, so rich and deep, because you feel like God put all that stuff there and it was like, they're going to love this when they get to it. <laughs> this is just going to be, they, some of these people, they're just going to have the best time. <laughs> you know, because I have to say, that's the other thing is people think, oh, God's like, oh, don't do this. That's off limits. Mm. Well, you know, yeah, don't go exploding, you know, atom bombs, but exploring how things work 
Yeah. Why not? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, it makes me think of the end of um, the Divine Comedy. Mm, that's right. Where everybody's sitting and contemplating the eternal face of God. Mm, the yeah. beatific vision, it's called. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what everybody talks about is it's that continual knowledge and learning and growing and excitement over the creative stuff. And it, that just never ends. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you've got me, you know. uh, I'm just looking up. Remember the final lines in the, in the divine comedy, right here powers failed my high imagination, but by now my desire and will were turned like a balanced wheel rotating evenly by the love that moves the sun and the other stars. Love it. Yep. Yes. Because that's the other thing that has to be remembered, too, is it's not just truth. God isn't just truth. What he is is love. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we could talk for way too long about what that <laughs> means. But in essence, it goes back to that idea of he's not going, oh, no, you only get this much. <laughs> like, but you guys are going to love this. Because <laughs> he knows who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So, well, good. Yep. Good choice. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you. That was yep. fun. I love it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, coming up next is Gattaca, the movie. More Gattaca. science fiction. More science fiction. Talk about jeans. <laughs> not blue jeans. No, but not jeans. blue jeans. And it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. And it's a future. And it's yeah. got... All kinds of crazy stuff in it. I like it. That's a good one. Swimming. A lot of swimming. Excellent. Practice your breaststroke or whatever it is they do in there. All right. Will do. Okay. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Thank you. And see you in a couple weeks. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.